He has risen. He is not here. You know, as we heard in the reading of Matthew earlier from our very special friends, these are very powerful and incredible words. You know, it says here in Matthew 28, it says there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. You know, this is such an incredible moment, Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is the very reason that we exist as a church. It's the very foundation of the church in general throughout history. Had Jesus not been raised from the dead, had the power of God inside of him not defeated death, there would be nothing for us to celebrate. But today we find ourselves here in this moment, Easter Sunday 2021. That is almost 2,000 years of Easter Sunday mornings where we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus died, but the fact that Jesus came back to life. It is the reason that we exist as a church. It is the reason and the foundation of my faith. It is dependent on the fact and the belief that Christ died and came back to life, defeating death. I want to take a few minutes this morning, and I want to actually focus in on his death and the timing of his death. Now, as we get into that today, I'm sure you've heard it said, Happy Easter. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray and take a minute here today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we celebrate today the great love that you showed us, the great love that you sent us in the form of your Son, who was fully God, who was fully man, who gave his life for us. Jesus, I give you thanks. We praise you. We give you the glory. You are the risen King. You are the risen King, and you are our King. You are our King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we celebrate the life that you have given to us. God, you are so good. And we celebrate and we thank you with gratitude, with thanksgiving. We thank you for your generosity toward us, your great love toward us. Just pray that you would be with us in these next few moments as we share the truth of what took place so many years ago for our freedom today. I praise you in Jesus' name. In your name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday was what we called Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey that had never been ridden through a gate that was reserved specifically for a very special purpose. He entered through the East Gate, also known as the Sheep Gate. If you were to head to Jerusalem today, you would notice that that gate has been blocked off and that there is a cemetery in front of that gate. Not a Christian cemetery, not a Jewish cemetery, but I believe, if I got my history and my facts correct, a Muslim cemetery. Why is that significant today? Well, it is prophesied that the King of Kings is going to come again. It is a belief that we firmly hold on to. It is a hope that we hold on to, that Jesus will come again. And when he comes to take his rightful place on the throne, he will come through that east gate. And so 
as men and as women, we often will think that we are better than God. We will often do things apart from God and think that we can get away with it. And so in human minds, they said, well, if we close up that gate, if we put a cemetery in front of it, there is no possible way that Jesus could ever enter through that gate again. Well, let me tell you something this morning, church. If Jesus can raise from the dead, he can certainly march through a cemetery, march through a gate that is no longer there and bring peace and bring freedom and bring justice to this world once again. Are you with me this morning? I'm excited. It's Easter Sunday. Would you celebrate with me that our God has been raised from the dead, that he is coming back again? How many are done with the distresses and the stresses and the worries of this world? How many are done with pandemics? How many are done with disease? How many are done with suffering? We have a hope in Jesus today because he was raised from the dead, not even death. The worst possible consequence has been defeated. Jesus lives. Our King is alive. Last Sunday, we celebrate his triumphal entry. People shout out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, which means, oh, save, oh, save. Now, we know that the sacrificial lamb that would be brought to the temple, the high priest would choose the right, perfect lamb. And that lamb would have to be without blemish, without mark. It would have to be the most perfect lamb that existed at that time. And the high priest would choose this lamb, and that lamb would be carefully wrapped up and cared for, brought through the east gate, brought up to the temple mount, and there, it's per, in its perfection, it would be sacrificed on the altar. It would take four days to inspect the lamb. Four times they would have to examine the lamb. The high priest would look and go back and forth, back and forth, to make sure that it was absolutely the perfect spotless lamb. Jesus came to Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan, four days before Passover would take place. He is brought to the temple as we can continue and go back and read through the scriptures. Jesus is brought to the temple and he's examined. The Pharisees examine Jesus and they try to find fault with him. That's the first time he's examined. They can't find fault with him and there's a disruption going on. So they send it up the chain of command and the Sanhedrin at the time is called to get involved to examine Jesus. Second time that Jesus is examined. Pontius Pilate is then asked to review the case against Jesus. That is the third time that Jesus is examined. And finally, Pilate sends word to Herod, you as the ruler of this land need to make a decision. Now, Herod is the son of the great Herod, or Herod the Great, who was the one who tried to have Jesus killed at his birth. If you can go back to the Christmas story and remember why Jesus and Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt. It goes to his son who now is in charge over Jerusalem in the area, and he must make a decision, and he declares that no fault is found. Pilate declares Jesus to be worthy as the Passover lamb as he goes four times and is examined. Jesus is found to be innocent, perfect, pure, and holy four times. Pilate makes that call as he's at the temple. 
four days before as Passover leads up, we get to Passover. Now the Hebrew word is, I'm not really good with Hebrew, so forgive me, but it's, it's like, it's like Pesach or Pesach, meaning literally Passover. Now you have to go back into the Old Testament quite a ways to understand the history of Passover. But what you need to know it was that it was a form of God's protection over the Israelites during the last plague in Egypt. What Passover was and what Passover started was that there was a deadly plague that was coming to Egypt. It was the last of 10 plagues to hit Egypt. And what the Israelites were instructed to do, they were instructed to take the, the blood of a lamb and they were instructed to paint it on the right side of the door, on the left side of the door, and they were instructed to paint it over the top of the door. So you can see that we have our windows here and our sign here. Imagine this is a doorway. We have our window on the left as our left doorpost. We have the window on the right as the right doorpost. And we have a thing across. And you would paint the blood over, across, and down. And it would make this symbol, sort of like a hollow square symbol. Now if you don't know anything about the Hebrew language, is that their alphabet are symbols. Their alphabet symbols mean something. They paint a visual picture. And so as you see this symbol across the top of the doorpost, it is the eighth letter of the alphabet, which we'll get into probably not today, but it's significant. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I know from study that it's significant. As you see this symbol placed, it forms a Hebrew letter known as Chet, C-H-E-T, CH kind of makes the K sound. Again, I don't speak Hebrew. That's the best I can do. It's kind of like this K sound. Okay? And so what would happen is, you would see this symbol painted on these doors. The symbol of Ket. And what that symbol is translated back in English is a symbol of life. It's the symbol meaning the word life. So again, picture that symbol up the top, across, and down the side. It means life. And so what would happen is the angel of death, if you read in the book of, Ex in the book of Genesis and Exodus coming into to Egypt, the last plague, death would come and knock on the door and any place it did not see the blood of the lamb, the sacrificed blood on the doorpost, death would enter in and it would kill the firstborn. What a deadly plague that would happen. Think of the outcry that would happen if that took place today. We are in the middle of, of a plague. We are in the middle of a pandemic worldwide, global pandemic, nothing new here. This is our second Easter service online, second year in a row. We all know what this is like, but could you imagine if you took the firstborn of every family around the world, even in our own communities, imagine just taking the first family, firstborn of every family on the North Shore and they died. That would be an incredible amount of loss. But what would happen is the angel of death would come and it would see this symbol. It would see the blood on the doorposts. And that blood, that Hebrew letter of Ket, translates the word life. And literally, as death would come knocking on the door, it would see the symbol of life and it would flee. Because death cannot overcome life. Death cannot come where God has placed life. Write that one down. Put it in the comments this morning and repeat it after me. Death cannot come where God has placed life. 
Death cannot come where God has placed life. Would you do me a favor this morning or in this moment that you're watching this? Would you type that in the comments? Death cannot come where God has placed life. Would you do me a second favor? And would you, if you're on social media, or would you text this to somebody, copy and paste what you've written, put it on your Facebook wall, send it in a text message, send it in an email, put it on a plaque on your mirror so you see it in the morning, that death cannot come where God has placed life. And the question that we need to ask you this, this day, the question that we are asking you is have you applied the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of your life? Have you applied the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of your heart, of your mind, of your soul, and of your body? Because if the answer is yes, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, to put your faith and your trust in Him, if you have made that decision, that means you have the faith to believe that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and you have the faith to believe that Jesus rose again from the dead and that he sits on the right hand of the Father here and now. That is the faith that we have. That is the faith that we have. And the faith that we believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, it takes us a step further and we go to Colossians 3 and 1. Colossians 3 and 1 and Colossians 1 and 3. And it says that we too have been raised up from the dead in Christ. That Christ has taken you, He has taken me, and He has raised us up out of death into life. This is the faith that we hold on to today. This is the faith that we will live forever. Forget the YOLO, forget the you only live once kind of bit. We will live forever because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And when death comes knocking at your door, when someone says something to you, when something happens to you, death cannot come into your home where God has placed life. Have you applied the blood of Jesus to the gateway of your being? Have you applied that blood of Jesus to your life? As long as you have life applied by faith to the doorpost of your home, the destroyer, the enemy who comes to seek, kill, steal, and destroy, he cannot come in. There's a big fat do not enter on your heart. Do not enter death, for I have been raised with Christ. I have been raised to new life. I have been reborn. I am being regenerated. I am someone new. I'm not who I once was. The old is gone. The new has come. I walk in new life. The life that has come from God Himself. The life that has been redeemed by God Himself. A life that has been renewed, restored, regenerated. There's a lot of our words in the Christian faith. But we have been made whole and new again. If you have applied the blood of Jesus to your life, death cannot enter. Every time you face an attack, every time you face a temptation, every time you get the tap on the shoulder to go back to who you were, if you've applied the blood of Jesus to your life, you have the right to put up that do not enter sign and say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. In the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. I am not who I once was. I have been made whole again. 
The lamb was killed publicly at Passover. Jesus was taken and beaten and killed at Passover. It happened very publicly for the whole world to see. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was bruised because of our sin. It was a very public humiliation. A very public death. And yet when we apply this blood to our lives, when we apply this sacrifice to the doorpost of our lives, it is something that is very personal. Something that is very private. Something that only you can make a decision to do. No one can make the decision for you to follow Jesus. You can't decide for your children that they are going to follow Jesus. Even though the death was very public, the application is extremely personal and private. The lambs of Passover always came from a special field. They came from a special community, not terribly far from Jerusalem by today's standards. They came from the town of Bethlehem. Now again, I'm going to work on my Hebrew, and if you read it in Hebrew, it literally means two words, behet lachem, behet lachem, not too bad with, the, with that there, which literally translate into English, house of bread. Can you just say that with me, house of bread? Type that in the comments, house of bread. Now, if you go to John chapter 6, verse 34, or 35, you hear Jesus say to the crowds that I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Now, what is incredibly fascinating about this story is that moments ago, Jesus literally feeds the crowds of 5,000 plus people. He does an incredible miracle. They're hungry, they're starving, and Jesus literally gives them food. And so, when someone gives you free food, what do you do? You go back to the place where you got the free food, right? And so this is exactly what happens. Jesus preaches to the crowd, he teaches them, and he says, does miracles, gives them free food, and they want more. And so Jesus goes across the lake, and they follow him, and the crowd says, Jesus, give us some more. And he says, I don't have the physical bread you're looking for. But what I do have is something that's going to change your life forever. It's something that's going to eliminate the fear of death forever. If you would choose to accept me as the bread of life. And the crowd gets angry. They get ticked off. They say, we don't want none of that. We want the real deal thing in our hand today. They instantly reject Jesus in this moment. But let's go back into history, and you might know this if you've been around church for a while, but where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. We talked about this at Christmas time, that when Jesus was born, he was wrapped up in swaddling clothes, just some cloth that he had carefully placed in a feeding trough known as a manger. And when the shepherds who were in the fields came and they saw this baby boy in the feeding trough, they knew in that moment that there was something special about this baby. In fact, they would know in that moment that that baby was going to be the sacrificial lamb for all mankind. Now whether they completely and fathomed and understood all of those things working together, they knew that the sacrificial lamb that would be brought to the temple was often wrapped up and cared for carefully. Remember, it was a perfect, spotless lamb. 
at Passover that would be sacrificed. And they see this little baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, carefully placed into likely some sort of rock or wood, little feeding trough to protect him and keep him safe. These are the shepherds who raised the sheep for the sacrifice. They understood the significance of that moment. The house of bread, Bethlehem, is the very community that produces the sacrificial lamb for all humanity. We also know that it's the high priest who declares that the lamb is fit for sacrifice. You jump back a few pages and you go to the time where Jesus was baptized. And we see John, his cousin, the person that was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah, sees Jesus coming towards him to get baptized. And what does John say? If, you know, if you've been around church for a while, we know that John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John comes from a long line of priests in his family. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. And he comes from a long line and tribe of priests, which makes him qualified to take the role of the priest to declare that Jesus is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, here to take away the sin of the world. We see when Jesus gets to the Last Supper, which we talked about a little bit on Good Friday, which we do on Good Friday every year. And we celebrate communion regularly. We see that Jesus drinks of three, three different cups. The cup of sanctification, the cup of thanks, and the cup of redemption. This third cup, the cup of redemption, is the cup that you drink after dinner. It's the cup that you drink after dinner. And when you read through Luke's gospel of this account, you drink this cup after supper, which precisely when Luke says that Jesus took the cup and declared from that moment on, it would be the cup of the new covenant. Jesus took that third cup of redemption and declared that this cup filled with wine would now represent the redeeming blood that he was about to shed. When he prayed in the garden, which, which you can read about later, that is the cup that he prayed to his father to remove from him because he knew that it was going to be a long, hard road. It was a moment that had him so physically distraught in his prayer time that he was literally sweating blood because he was so distraught in that moment. But yet, knowing what was before him, he willingly went to the cross for you and I. He willingly shed his blood for you and for me. He literally went to the cross, knowing what was before him, to save all mankind. If he did not accept this final, this third cup of redemption by pouring out his blood, there would be no salvation for anyone. Now we know that God's timing is always perfect even when we don't understand. But typically the sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem would take place at 3 p.m. We know that Jesus was, was crucified around 9 a.m. that day. And as he, as he hung there on that cross suffering and waiting, 
We see that at 3 o'clock, as the high priest, even on Passover, would be, be getting ready to sacrifice the lamb, they would blow a trumpet or a shofar. Now, throughout history, the sound of the shofar was what was heard when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, down from having an encounter with God. And the shofar represented the voice of God speaking, saying that something has taken place, something holy has taken place. The voice of God is here and has spoken. And as Jesus is on that cross at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, as the high priest in the temple begins to sacrifice the lamb that has been prepared, the shofars ring out a sound and it can be heard throughout Jerusalem. And as Jesus is on that cross, he hears the trumpet sound, the shofar sound. And it is as if in that moment he is hearing the voice of his Father God. And he yells out a cry, It is finished. It is finished. There will be no more death after this moment. It is finished. There will be no more pain eternally. It is finished. When you translate the words, it is finished, you can also translate it as paid in full. There is no more debt to be paid. The price of our death, the price of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that price has been paid in full. I don't know if you've ever burned up a mortgage, ever burned up a car loan, ever paid off a credit card, ever paid off a student loan. It's an amazing feeling knowing that that debt is paid. Imagine understanding and finally experiencing the fact that all the wrong that you've done in your life, all the pain that you've caused to others in your life, all the suffering that has taken place, that the price for that suffering has already been paid because Jesus willingly laid down his life. He paid the price for all of us. And he was qualified because he was perfect and he was blameless. And we see four times he's examined and found with no fault. We see that he is declared by the high priest that he is the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And at three o'clock at Passover, we see him take his final breath and yell out, the price has been paid in full. Perhaps you can go back now and remember the words I told you to type in the comments earlier. Death cannot come where God has placed life. We know that there was a great earthquake three days later as the women approached the tomb, as they, as they were ready to go prepare the body in their grief and in their sadness, they approached the tomb. And this is what it says we heard earlier. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. 
Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. We know that Jesus came to disrupt the sin of this world. We know that he came to bring a great disruption. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But Jesus can only come so far. Because Jesus gives us the choice to let him in or not. You know, maybe you've gone through a couple earthquakes in your life. Maybe you've gone through a, couple, a, a bit of disruption in your own life. Whenever you see an earthquake, whenever you see a great disruption take place, think of this moment. Think of this moment where the stone of death was rolled away. The stone that hid the death was rolled away. And when you walk inside the tomb, you discover that it's empty, that life exists. Because death cannot exist where God has placed life. Whenever there's a great earthquake, whenever there's a great storm, whenever there's a great disruption taking place in your life, pay attention to it. Because that disruption, that earthquake, is an opportunity. It is an invitation for you to walk from death into life. It's an invitation for you to move from fear into faith. It's an invitation for you to say, no more death. God is here to bring me life. And where God has placed life, death cannot come. It is an invitation. And so today, in this moment, in this great season of disruption, in this great season of uncertainty, this whole last year and a half of pandemic is a great earthquake and disruption that I believe we need to pay attention to. Because it's an invitation for us to finally receive the true life that Jesus brings. Paul reminds us, for the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. The same power. Think about this for a minute. What did that power that lived in Christ, that lives in us, what did that power do? It raised him up from the dead. Where did that power come from? It came from Father God. Such a great and mighty moment of power that it raised even the dead to life. That same power, if we have chosen to follow, if we've chosen to accept that invitation to follow Jesus, that same power lives within you and within me. That means that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death. It says that while we were dead and lost in our transgressions and our sin, Christ died for us. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. And it lives in me. And what happens when we come to life? It gives us joy. It brings us perfect peace. Now in this world, Jesus does warn us, we will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. There is a time coming where there will be no more pandemic, 
where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, no more physical death. There is a time coming where Jesus will return again. He will march through that east gate of Jerusalem and he will take his place on the throne and the whole world will have to declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We hold on to a faith today that Jesus, when he started 2,000 plus years ago, has not yet come to an end, but he's just getting started. Jesus will come again to redeem this world once and for all, to rid it of death, to rid it of destruction, to get us to the place where he intended for us to live in the first place, to bring glory to God his Father forever and ever and ever. Amen. He has come to bring us new life, an abundant life, a life that is full, a life that is pleasing, a life full of blessing. So pay attention to the earthquakes today. Pay attention to the disruption. Because death cannot come where God has placed life. If you would like to make a decision today to follow Jesus, and you truly want to leave your old life behind, there's going to be a link right now in the comments and in the description that'll take you to our website, thenorthshore.church follow. And by you clicking on that link, filling out a simple form of saying, I today choose to follow Jesus. I today choose to die to my old self. I today am choosing to be reborn, to be given a second chance, to be taking on this new life that God has given me. Today I choose to take on a new life that God has given me. If that's you today, I would encourage you to click that link right now and to fill out that form. What will happen is it's not, it's not overly magical, but it's a first step of faith. And when you fill out that card that says, I want to follow Jesus, you're going to hear from myself or Pastor Katie or Pastor Elizabeth. And we're going to pray with you and we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to celebrate God's amazing love that has overtaken who you are. Today we're going to celebrate in song and I'm going to pray in just a moment. And as I pray, I encourage you, if you're hesitating today, just take a step of faith. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus and you are here to celebrate the resurrection, the fact that death can no longer plague you or harm you, then I just want you to type in the comments right now the word hallelujah. H-A-L-L-E-J-A-H. If I got that right, I probably spelled it wrong. Hallelujah. All praise, all glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I follow Jesus. Hallelujah, I believe. Now you'll notice I'm standing strategically this morning in front of the word change one of our core values. We strongly believe in change and transformation, that Jesus does not want us to be who we once were, that he has come to give us a new life, which I mentioned a moment ago. He's coming to do something new in us. He's come to transform us. He's come to renew our minds, to renew our hearts, to give us new life. Now, I believe today that this is a first step to change the rest of your life. And we are all on this journey of transformation. We are always continually on this journey. But today is your moment to take that first step and say, I want to do life different. My life needs a change. 
there is something in my life that needs to shift. This is your moment of opportunity. This is your moment of disruption. Let me pray for you today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. We thank you for bringing him back to life. Lord, I thank you that you have raised us up from the grave. That you have raised us up with Christ. I thank you for the new life that you give us. I pray now in your Son's holy name, in the name of Jesus, that you would forgive me of my sin. Lord, I confess in this moment that I have sinned, that I have fallen short, Lord, that I do not measure up, that I am not like the holy, perfect Lamb of God. Lord, I'm not even worthy to be sacrificed. I know that I need you today, O oh Lord. Lord, I know that I need you. And in this moment, Jesus, I praise you and I thank you Lord, I come and I believe that you have saved me. I pray that you would give me the strength and the courage to follow you, Jesus. To take on this new life that you have given me. I pray today that you would give me the strength and the courage to take this next step. Lord, as you have brought a disruption to our lives, I pray you would give us the courage to take this step and put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, help me not to be the person I once was, but help me be the perfect person you've called me and that you're shaping me and you're designing me to be. Lord God, continue a good work in me. Continue that work into completion. Lord, may we celebrate like we've never celebrated before this opportunity to follow you and have new life and life to the full. I thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we want to celebrate with you. And so if you haven't filled out that card yet, I encourage you to do so because we want to celebrate the work that Jesus is going to do and has already done in your life today. As we go this Easter, do what the angel and what Jesus commanded the two women to do. The first evangelists, go and tell someone that Jesus is alive. Go and tell someone that the life that God gave you, death cannot take down. Go and share the good news that our King is alive and He sits on the throne of your heart right now. Go and tell and share the good news. God bless you.